forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello. I'm Alison Raskin. I'm a writer, director, and murder mystery fanatic. Oh my God. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and movie poster collector. Ooh. Ooh. If, you, if you're watching this on uh, video, you will see that I am surrounded by movie yes, posters. Yes, we are now recording the podcast and putting up segments on our YouTube channel. What is, what is this, 2017? This is Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice ridiculous games and brutal honesty but while i find a review to read um tell, i i forgot that you're teaching a class how is that going tell us about your class i'm interested it hasn't started yet you haven't started teaching it yet <laughs> no it starts in january why were you texting me about it because you have to plan your guests before the time that they arrive oh so you're making a syllabus yeah i've made the syllabus but i'm still looking for some guest speakers to to flesh it all out. What's the class and what are you putting on your syllabus? What are they required to read and do? It's a a class for USC film school, their comedy department. It's all about how to find your comedic voice online. So it's about like short form videos and also then learning how to like adapt that content to longer form content and, you know, just being creative with with writing and production and making little bite sized nuggets of fun. And you're kind of still actively doing that on at emotional support lady, if anyone is interested. <laughs> I'm I'm becoming a PR person. Okay, so here's a review from Jolie Hops. It says, hi, moms. These two literally raised me and are still raising me. Okay, wow, what a dysfunctional household you have. Just kidding. Allison allowed me to understand my own anxiety and mental illness, my dad's and my brother's OCD. She's the reason that I was brave enough to be on meds and go to therapy. Also, I have bangs. Gabby yeah. helped me realize that I was bi and how to navigate my sexuality. I'm not sure when I would have accepted my sexuality without her. I have all their books and I want to be a writer too. I was so excited when they released the podcast. Thank you, Gabby and Allison. You're both so strong and can get through everything life throws at you. And then a heart. Aww. Aww. Also, this one's so funny. Uh, December uh, 3rd, 2020. So recent. Uh, Thea Real Winner. Thank goodness that they're back. I love you both so much. You have each made me cry and regularly make me laugh. Thank you. I am not an alien. I am just rude. <laughs> we really appreciate these comments, guys. It, it helps the podcast so much if you can go mm -hmm. in and, and review uh, and like give it five stars and send mm -hmm. it to your friends. And now that we're with Forever Dog, we like really want to prove to them that like that they should believe in us and that this is a, a great important thing that we're doing um and so please leave reviews okay my begging is over <laughs> and the community is also i wanted to let everyone know the community is thriving um allison has a discord server that is for fans of allison i also have a discord server um so you guys should be able to look into that and find that there's a jbu podcast discussion board on my discord server i think there might be one on allison's too uh but shout out to the discord you guys are so cute. Well, anyway, uh, the discords are fun and you can talk about JBU podcast on my discord if you so choose. Um, and also it's a lovely place to make friends. One thing that's really nice about the community surrounding this podcast is that people are making friends through it. And mm -hmm. so that's something that um, I think we should show Forever Dog too. We're really just trying to suck up. 
<laughs> yeah, so if you guys could help us look good, we would really appreciate Please. it. Please. <laughs> we have got an amazing episode for you guys today. This week, we're asking Vanessa Gorelkin some tough questions about occupational therapy. And later, we're going to be discussing education. Where is the value in formal education versus being self-taught? But first, hit it. International question. International question. International question. Anonymous. Ooh. Very anonymous. Anonymous in all ways. (laughs) So the TLDR, too long, didn't read, says, how do I talk to my partner about being non-binary? Okay, so in the last couple of months, I've been having dreams that I've told my partner that I want to use they, them pronouns. I wake up so excited until I realize it wasn't real. And if I want to make that happen, I'm going to have to have the conversation all over again, except not in my dream life. But I haven't even come close to doing it. I've told one of my friends and my therapist, and I'm so happy to have talked it out and love the way it has felt to be addressed differently. The weird part about this is that my partner is the loveliest and most supportive person in the world. They're trans. I'm 99.5% sure they would be great about it, helpful to talk to, and as usual, just genuinely interested in making me feel more comfortable. So why does the other 0.5% of the equation feel like the most dangerous thing in the world? I feel like I'm taking up too much space or like 30 is too old to figure this out or like I'm copying them or they would have a bunch of questions and all I would be able to say is that it makes me sweaty and uncomfortable that I keep being referred to as a woman when what feels more correct is just adult. I sometimes kind of think they already know all of this without me saying anything. But the more I want to talk about feeling like I'm actually non-binary, the more self-conscious I get about it. I've caught myself now monitoring the way I dress way more than usual, wondering if they're going to get mad at me for what I'm wearing, like every other cis dude I've ever dated. Ugh. Why, why, why do I feel like the person that makes the most sense to talk to about this is the person it would be the hardest to do it with? I'm too paranoid about this not to make it anonymous. Ah! I love an email that ends with, ah. <laughs> um, okay. So what happened was, um, Allison picks the questions. Obviously, I'm sure longtime listeners of the show know that I don't read the email account. Um, but Allison does. And uh, Allison picked this question this week, just going through. I'm sure you you pick, like, you have questions that stick out to you. Um, why did this one stick out to you? Well, I try to make it so that we're talking about a lot of diverse topics. I didn't want it to overlap with questions like with what the guest is going to be talking about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and this was a question we'd never really had before. Mm-hmm. And it just was it was interesting to me. And I, I didn't. It's a complicated situation mm-hmm. where the answer seems obvious, which is like, just talk to them. <laughs> yeah. But I, I also know that that can be really tricky and, and that I thought it'd be interesting for us to explore, like, why there is that hesitancy. So you just pick this, like, you know, because you think about what would make a good show. And I wrote back and I was a little flabbergasted because I ha- I felt as though maybe I could have written this email mm-hmm. um, down to like very weird specifics, including like having a trans partner and having had relationships with cis men in the past, particularly one who were very unsupportive of any sort of gender nonconformity, who worried a lot about things that I was saying or 
Um, I remember specifically an instance where I referred to myself as your boy and uh, and he was like, don't say that. And I was starting to wear um, men's underwear and he was unhappy with that. And I remember specifically when we were breaking up, he said something about um, I were were I feel like one of the reasons to break up is because I'm keeping you from from being who you are, which this was in 2016. So I was like, Mm -hmm. what is he talking about? Like, I just felt like it was so weird. Um, But those comments kind of they get into your head. They like weasel their way into your brain and they they make a lot of impact. I think that I didn't think about a lot of this stuff for a really long time. And then um, I have recently been talking to my therapist a little bit about like my own gender journey and sort of what's been going on with me, which I'm not, I wasn't like planning on saying anything, but I felt like because this question came up and I had just talked to my therapist um, and I just talked to a friend of mine that like, it was a weird like sign from the universe, which is also so woo woo to the person who wrote this in the things that your old partners might have said to you are probably really had an impact in a way that you don't really haven't really unpacked. Like, I think that that does cause fear, mm-hmm. um, whether that's founded or unfounded with a current partner. I think things do get into your head and and cause internalized transphobia, you know, for other people, internalized homophobia, internalized biphobia, etc. Um, and I think like I even like, you know, it's that thing of like, well, it's okay for other people, but, but not me. I'm not that, but like, I support everyone, you know, but, but it couldn't possibly be me. And I think there are a lot of very specific trans narratives. Like I knew since I was a little kid and I am a very binary trans person and I know that I'm a girl and I know that I'm a boy and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, if you don't fit into those categories, you could feel like I don't deserve to be here. I'm not, mm-hmm. I, I don't deserve to to speak on this. I don't deserve to take up space on this. And I, and I still, like I've said this similarly about sex work where I, I don't think I would take up space in like a sex work space, um, even though I have that background. And like, so with trans stuff, I feel like you don't, you, there is this feeling of like, I don't want to take up space in this in this community where there are better qualified, quote unquote, people or if I don't have any answers, I don't want to take up space or. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I've been talking to my therapist about and that I think has been good is that there's not an answer. Sometimes the answer is the question mark. Like there might. What not- do you mean by that? Like, I, I might not find an answer. I might not find a solid answer. I might find mm-hmm. answers that are fluid. I might find answers that change. I might find answers that um, feel different on different days. I might mm-hmm. find, like, the the I could go through this entire journey with the idea that I'll reach some sort of destination, right? I'll be like, you know, this is what I am. And like, woo, we did it. Mm-hmm. Um I think like feeling self-conscious or feeling like you're actually something is hard because of you're you're just not if you don't have like a definitive answer and like right so like I'm worried like people are going to if people say well 
why? What makes you feel that way? And the only thing that I can say is like, these these intangible things that aren't really answers, like you saying, um, it makes me sweaty and uncomfortable to be described as a woman. There's been times in my life where people have shot back and been like, well, I don't like, I don't like being a woman either. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not what I said. Um, and also, I don't know how to explain. There's like these subtleties that I, I don't feel ready to explain. And like a lot of times when, sometimes when I've been talking to people, they'll be like, well, what about this? What about that? And I get overwhelmed still. Like I'm not at a place where I have solid answers that I feel like I'm going to have to address or I'm going to have Mm -hmm. to answer these things in this way that satisfies other people. And it's not and I don't have that right now. Like it's not going to. Have you felt comfortable talking to Mal about it? So I also was like, am I just copying Mal? Because my partner Mal is a trans masculine non-binary goes by they them pronouns uh, is on testosterone is more towards trans masculine side um, presenting. I had to unpack a lot of ideas that I'm that I I'm copying them that I'm just influenced by what they're doing that. But then, you know, Mal said to me, um, a lot of times, if you have gender feelings, you are attracted to other trans people. Like, Mm. that's like, you know, you it's like, it's like when someone's like, all my friends are lesbians, but I'm not. And it's like, well, why, honey? Or like, um, I think and like, that's not necessarily binding. But I'm just saying that like, Mal was like, it's not that you're copying. It's that you recognize something in me Mm. that made you feel seen or you recognized something in Drew, my other roommate is a trans woman that made you feel seen and comfortable or you 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 saw what I was doing and you felt attracted to that. I, I get a little nervous about that because I don't want Mal to think that my attraction to them is based on like my own whatever, but attraction is complicated. And, um, and so like when I was bringing up this email, I said to Mal, you know, that my fear is copying them. And Mal was like, well, one, you back in the day that you first became attracted to me, like it might, it, it could have just been because you recognized something similar in, in ourselves. And also that, um, being with me made you realize certain things or have conversations that maybe you wouldn't have had. We're also like, obviously our genders are different. Like I, I, you know, there's these conversations. I have very long hair right now. There's these conversations where I'm like, but I don't want to have to cut my hair because if I'm, if I was a cis dude, I would want to, I would want to have like surfer hair. So why (laughs) am I not allowed to have, do you know what I mean? Like there's these very complicated things. Um, where I think like people think that non-binary means now you look like a boy <laughs> when like the, well, the was, point, you know what I mean? Like it, that, well, I was, and then that's just choosing. I, I obviously am, am not as well versed in all of this, but isn't there some flexibility in identifying as non-binary where right, you're not yeah. expected to have those exact answers and there is expected to be some fluidity there? I, I mean, I, think so and I I think there's a lot of internalized transphobia and a lot of internalized like non-binary phobia right where you're like well what gives me the right like am I copying am I following a trend Mm -hmm. am I whatever but like it's funny because whenever I bring that up like 
friends of mine who are trans are like, do you know, cis people don't think about this, right? Like (laughs) the fact that you're like bending over backwards and like trying to like whatever is like the and crying during this conversation, like cis people aren't doing this. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like you kind of are answering your own question in some way. It is hard because again, I'm 32, you're 30 listener. Um, And I think like after 30 years, it's hard to think of yourself a different way Mm. or it's hard to like go through and review who you are. And and I think also, you know, I go through things where I'm like, nobody's going to believe me. Everyone is going to like talk about me behind my back. People are just going to like all these sort of like. (sighs) Why is it important for other people to believe your truth? Well, thank you, therapist Allison. <laughs> um, yeah, I I mean, I don't know. Okay, so here's what I thought. I wasn't, we weren't going to do this question. And then I was like, I wonder if it is helpful because I feel like a lot of trans narratives or a lot of non-binary narratives are talking or whatever is coming from a place of conclusiveness mm-hmm. or coming from a place of like, and I wondered if it would be interesting to, because I think like people don't want to talk about it before they're like, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um And I wondered if it would be interesting to just to talk about it from a place of uh, like from a place (laughs) of like to 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 sort of if it would be relatable at all to be like, uh, I don't have an answer for you. And also I'm feeling comfortable and okay with the idea that there might not be an answer. The answer yeah. is there is no answer. And and you're not going to being goal oriented with it is like not going to help me. And mm-hmm. um, it's not going to make me feel any better, I don't think. And there it's a journey too, right? So you're like, oh, my God, I have to talk to my partner. You know, this is the definitive thing. Um, and like, that's awesome. But also it's going to change again and it's going to change again and things might change again. And like you know, Mal was like, well, I'm genderqueer, but I'm not going to get top surgery. Cut to, I got top surgery. Well, I'm not going to go on testosterone. Cut to, I'm on mm-hmm. testosterone. Like, you know, like I think like, I think, um, and I think there's this thing, there's this discourse right now of like non-binary falls under the trans umbrella, but a lot of non-binary people don't want to identify as trans, but then a lot of people are like, well, but that is, that is that internalized transphobia. There are like, if we expand the meaning of trans or whatever, but then a lot of non-binary people, myself include, maybe, I don't know, feel like, okay, well, I don't, but I don't want to take up space. Like, I don't want to go to like, I I don't feel like I have a right to be at like a trans meetup. Like, I don't feel like Mm -hmm. I have the right to be at. So, I mean. (sighs) Well, I think this is one of those examples where labels have both positives and negatives. Mm -hmm. So like sometimes labels can be helpful because it, you know, it abbreviates things. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. I understand what that means. You Me find too, community. This, that. You find community. But there's also this sense of like that it should be very black and white. I'm either this mm-hmm. or I'm not because of the label. But, mm-hmm. you know, I I think people, like even just talking about like other things, I think people are mislabeled all the time. People's mm-hmm. labels change. Pe- you know, like there is like a lot of of change that can happen. And I wonder if, if feeling, if if part of the, anxiety of talking to their partner is because it feels like you're going to sit them down and give them this big 
definitive like, thing. Definitive thing. But yeah. what if instead of you approach it as like, I would like to have a conversation with mm-hmm. you where you can help me potentially talk out these things mm-hmm. that I'm feeling, you know, because if you are in a true partnership, like as you change, the relationship will change, you know, influence mm-hmm. your partner and vice versa, you know? Mm-hmm. And so thinking of it as more of like, okay, I have, I have done this work on myself to the point where now I can include my partner in that conversation mm-hmm. and we can figure out even more together mm-hmm. versus, and this is what I've decided. Here you go. It's interesting, right? Like someone said, well, like when someone uses she for you or or like, how do you feel? And I was like, I feel like fine. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, well, but if someone uses they for you, how do, how do you feel? And I was like, it was pretty exciting like the first time it happened. And they were like, so like you could have a life where you're mm-hmm. fine or you could have a life where you're like, oh, this is exciting. But also <laughs> the thing is, is that I, I, like, I don't want to inconvenience anyone. Like, I feel very like I'm not like I'm aware of what I look like. I'm not going to like go into a coffee shop and get called ma'am and be like, that's outrageous. Like I get I but also like then is that like making excuse or like internal. It's just like I don't have an answer. And so when I read this email, I was like, oh, my God, I feel just like you. I'm holy shit. Um, and also like, why does the way you dress matter? And just like all these things, I don't know. Cause also like sometimes the conversations bring stuff up for Mal. And like, I think also like there should be a a world in which if either one of you are overwhelmed, you can just stop. Like Mm -hmm. it can be a lot. So like, if what I'm talking about brings up stuff for Mal, like Mal has to be able to be like, okay, like I can't, or like if I'm, you know, Mal has a lot of questions and I'm like, I don't really have a lot of answers. And also the more questions that are getting asked, the more I'm like hyperventilating, we have to walk away from it. Mm-hmm. I think you can have check, you can check ins along the way of the conversation. And again, it's not going to be one conversation. I'm sure it's going to be many. If someone needs to be like, I have to tap out right now. Mm-hmm. Everybody just has to tap out. Totally. I'm not saying anything definitive. I'm who knows. I'm glad that you have a good therapist listener. And I think like I've been having a lot of luck in therapy being like the the answer is what it is in the moment. And sometimes the the conversation and the definitive answer is just like that. The 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 journey, the journey is the destination. <laughs> yeah. And take some of the pressure off yourself. You know, like this is a big thing and so it's normal to Mm -hmm. feel feelings around that Mm -hmm. but you know I think you sometimes have to push through the discomfort Mm -hmm. and and you know think of it from the other point of view of wouldn't you want your partner to feel comfortable telling you something like this right and also I want to say though that you can also some things you don't have to be ready to answer questions about some stuff you can just be quiet you can just keep private and you can say I don't have the answer to that yet. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes when people come out, they make it about the people around them where they're like, how is this person going to react? How's this person going to react? And you forget to be check in with yourself and be like, am I okay? Mm -hmm. Because you're so worried about cleaning up the mess for other people. Oh, thank you for for sharing that. I know that that wasn't easy. And I think it's going to help a lot of people to hear that there isn't always, you know, that you don't just go from A to B, that there's a, a big journey in between. Thanks. I feel like you picking this question was like the universe being like, knock, knock. 
<laughs> Maybe it was. Who knows what the universe is up to these days? <laughs> if you want to submit your international question that makes us go through a journey of our own, <laughs> please send it to just between us pod at gmail.com. That's just between us pod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, Vanessa Gorelkin. Stick around. Just between us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. <laughs> this week on the show, we have Vanessa Gorelkin, who uh, is an occupational therapist and um, somebody that we want to talk to about whatever OT mm. is. <laughs> um, I was going to go into a whole thing like on your bio explaining what OT is, but like that's why we have you here. So I'm just going to cut it short and let you talk. Talk to us about it. So, yes, I am an occupational therapist and occupational therapy is a rehabilitation profession that helps people with both both physical and mental health problems to be able to live their lives most effectively. So I, I think there's like a lot of confusion about what that actually looks like, right? Because it kind of can feel both like physical therapy and also kind of like talk therapy. So what, what makes... Uh, OT unique. Yeah, the thing that makes OT unique is that it's a very holistic type profession and not to mm. um, say anything negative about my colleagues in psychotherapy and in physical therapy. Uh, but, you know, we're really looking at the whole person. So let's say, for example, you know, you're a graduate student who has a clinical depression. You know, you might see your psychiatrist for medication and a psychotherapist uh, for talk therapy. But what about the part uh, where you need to manage your classes and you need to be able to mm. try to get yourself exercising. What if you're a mom and you have to take care of your children or you're recently divorced and you need support about that? So it's pretty broad and it's very individual. And then you kind of end up having kind of specialties, right? Mm -hmm. And so yours is sort of within the mental mm -hmm. health OT mm -hmm. space? Yes. Well, I've always done a lot of mental health work and I've had sort of a, um, I've worn many hats in my career, but most recently I worked with a lot of cancer patients and chronically ill patients. And I found that the mental health aspect of it was so important that I really wanted to pay a lot of attention to people, how they felt, how they were managing, because you really can't separate your body and your mind. It, they, they're the same thing. So what happens at occupational therapy? Uh, we'll, we'll start out, um, you know, if this is an established patient of mine, we'll start out by talking about how are things going? How did they do with um, the most recent set of goals that we set? Because typically in occupational therapy, we're trying to set goals so that the person can live their life the way that you know, they, they are trying to live it. And oftentimes it's because of an illness or an injury or something happened, or there's a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so they're just not getting out to do the things that they usually do. And they feel completely stuck. What I have done most of my life, uh, as a patient is talk therapy mm -hmm. and occupational therapy is more like goal oriented. Like what would the goals that we would set? Be? Okay. So one technique that we use a lot and that I lean on heavily is called motivational interviewing. And it's not like, rah, rah, yay. It's like, I talk to you about what are you trying to accomplish in your life? And then we set the goals around that. So it is, it involves a lot of talking about like, 
for example, let's say Gabby, you're having uh, trouble um, getting up in the morning during the pandemic and getting ready for your day. So we would talk about that. We try to find what the barriers are, and then we would set goals that are manageable for you. So it wouldn't necessarily just be like, get out of bed. It might be like step by step, you know, sometimes people need it broken down into little pieces if they're depressed or if they're anxious, uh, things like that. So it's very individual. It does look a lot like talk therapy for much of the time, but there's a lot of activity assignments and then there's skills teaching as well. Yeah. So I, I learned about motivational interviewing in, in my classes, but I have never really understood exactly what that looks like. So it's, it's kind of a way of getting, it's like almost activating self-motivation. Yeah. Well, the way that motivational interviewing works best is when the therapist kind of goes from being the expert person in the relationship in that moment and they become the collaborator. So, um, Mm -hmm. like as an example, let's say I have actually worked with people on quitting smoking with motivational interviewing. And, um, so a lot of the times it looks like the person comes in and they say like, I want to learn how to, I want to quit smoking. I just, I just want to quit. And so we talk about Mm -hmm. why do you want to quit smoking? What are your feelings about it? What are the good feelings about smoking? What are the bad feelings about smoking? And then we sort of get down to the bottom of what is the real motivation? What is really driving you? Does it, is it that you smell bad when you smoke cigarettes? Is it that your boyfriend won't kiss you? Is it that you're afraid you're going to kill your dog in your car while you're driving with them? You know, anything like that was actually the thing with this person. She was most motivated because her dog was in danger. Motivational interviewing finds the motivation within you instead of the therapist telling you, you shouldn't smoke and you shouldn't do Mm -hmm. this. And, um, yeah, so it's really, really super effective. And I love it because instead of me telling you what to do and you going, no, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like me. There's none of that. It's, it's more like, what do you want to do? And it's, it's, uh, you know, if you're good at it and you get some practice, it's really works terrifically with people and they like it. Yeah. Yeah, because you feel empowered and you feel like you're part of the process. Absolutely. And then, you know, by the end of a motivational interviewing session, you set a goal with a person. So let's say, uh, again, I'll go back to the lady who was smoking. Um, We decided that, you know, since she was smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, that she would go down by one cigarette. And then so then she came in and, you know, and then the next time we said, okay, how many do you think you can go down? She said, you know, I really think I can smoke only a half a pack a day and so on. So, yeah, motivation. Motivational interviewing, I think, is from the addiction sort of uh, point of view originally. So it was a lot about helping people get off of drugs and stop drinking and stop addictive behaviors, which works nicely. Can we talk a little bit more about about working with people with chronic illness? Mm -hmm. Because I think it is um, something that so many people deal with and is so misunderstood, Mm -hmm. especially for these illnesses that are not visible to the Mm -hmm. eye. So how, how have you found that what you do is helpful with that community? One of the things that occupational therapists, myself uh, in particular, uh, do for people with chronic illness is they validate the person who has the chronic illness. Uh, you'd be surprised yeah. just how many times people run from doctor to doctor and they're just told, you know what, you should just live with this. Like, this is your problem and you're going to deal with it forever. And that's kind of like, wait, what? I ha- But I have no mm-hmm. tools. I have no skills. So, you know, 
know, I've had, um, I had a patient who, um, had a terrible injury to her lower leg and she was in chronic pain. And before she started seeing me, um, she was going to constant doctor's appointments, physical therapy. She was running all over the place, acupuncture again, not to knock those down, but she was seeing her pain doctor every week. She was getting shots Mm. and it wasn't working. So she wound up in my office uh, because she had swelling and I deal with swelling sometimes as well. And, um, so we worked on that issue and we worked on getting her stronger along with her physical therapist. But what I noticed when we started working together was she had no life. Like they all she did was go to doctors. So, um, yeah. we, worked together for a long time. It was about a year, but I can tell you she's engaged to get married now. She got off of narcotic pain medication with her doctor's help. Um, and mm. yeah, she did amazing. And she is like one of my most grateful patients. I have to say, she's always like, you saved my life. And it's really, I mean, wow. I, I'm like, you saved your own life because a lot of what we did was things that she followed through with at home. We did meditation. I taught her mindfulness. I taught her, um, you know, methods to manage her pain, which are sort of neurological in nature. So, you know, chronic illness can be chronic pain or fibromyalgia or Ehlers-Danlos or any number of things. And people need attention to how to build their life around that. Do you feel like with a lot of people, they have multiple doctors, like you said, and they, you know, and, and so you're looking at how do we you're almost holistic, holistic, yeah. and then kind of fitting the pieces together. So would you ever like talk to their other Absolutely. doctors and like consult with them for and everything? Sh- oh, for sure. Um, I mean, occupational therapists are very, uh, uh, you know, I can't think of the word I'm trying to say, like we, we work on teams all the time. And mm-hmm. oftentimes, like, for example, with the mental health work that I'm doing, somebody very well may have a psychiatrist. Um, they may have a psychotherapist that they're working with regularly, but it's still not um, coming all together for them. Or, you know, maybe psychiatrist and occupational therapist. And maybe we need to talk to the psychiatrist. This medication seems to be making this person very sleepy. Or, you know, I, you know, um, with bipolar uh, disorder, for example, which is um, one where medications, you know, often are really tough to take or at times are tough to take. How do we get that person to stay compliant when they want to, but they, mm-hmm. but certain things in their life are different because they have that medication in their system? How do we do that? And that's often with the doctor too. It's medication compliance is a big mm-hmm. issue, right? Yeah. So a lot of people really struggle to, to take their medication mm-hmm. um, daily. And so I would imagine maybe that's a lot of what you do is how do we fit taking that medication into your life at the same time every day mm-hmm. so that you can have the right amount in your body. Yeah. And I don't know anything about that. I'm perfect. Are you? I've never, <laughs> I've never wholesale gone off of my meds mm-hmm. uh, just <laughs> because I had convinced myself I should. That's never... Mm-mm. Happened. Never, never a problem, <laughs> but a great insight builder, as long as like, it doesn't wind up with driving down the highway, a hundred miles an hour, the opposite way, you know, if we can catch it. No, just full mental breakdown. <laughs> no, that's horrible. Um, I'm sorry. I have, like, no, I'm laughing, whatever. But, um, you know, I think for chronic illness and for a lot of this other stuff, it's like masking the symptoms, like what you were talking about in terms of like, okay, I'm, I'm on like for me, right. I'm on my bipolar medication. Um, it makes me sleepy. So I have to drink a lot of caffeine. So you're just kind of putting band-aids on a bunch of different yeah, things. Yeah. Um, and that is sort of the, I feel like in my experience, and we had another guest on the show, Annie Sagara, who talked about Ehlers-Danlos, um, 
the medical community's way of treating stuff seems to be very like band-aid on this bullet hole, band-aid on this bullet hole, yes. right? Like that seemed, and, and that seems to be like the standard practice. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what our medical community in the United States really likes is, you know, what do we pay the most for? Surgery. That's one day. The patient mm-hmm. may recover for six months from that, but at least we like, mm-hmm. we did something for them. So, you know, the further away you get from actually doing something where there's a physical intervention, the less we tend to value the intervention, but the more mm-hmm. necessary it often tends to be. I have really rarely met anyone, including myself, who couldn't benefit from an occupational therapist um, consulting with them and working with them. And I definitely have done occupational therapy for myself and my, well, to the best that I can uh, for myself and certainly uh, for my family, you know, uh, bless them. And <laughs> cause I'm bossy. Uh, so yeah, I think that um, it's not about masking the symptoms but sometimes it can be about how do you live around the corner with those symptoms? Like I mm-hmm. like to say, you know, the sleepiness or let's say anxiety that comes along with uh, certain types of depression or OCD or things like that. We have to learn to live with it like, a, you know, a smelly person on the bus sitting next to us. We don't want them there, but we cannot get rid of them. They are next to us, mm-hmm. you know, and when it's at its worst, it's the smelliest, horrible person who's right there. And they, you know, but that's your life right now. So are we going to just, are we going to go to bed and forget about it? Or are we going to work within, you know, a way to unlock your skills and your ability to live your life really well? you kind of touched on this a little bit, but can we talk a a bit more in depth about um, like radical acceptance Mm -hmm. and like acceptance and commitment therapy and what that looks like? Well, I like to say that um, cognitive behavioral therapy was like, was first for sure. And um, I think that um, acceptance and commitment based therapy or ACT as it's called, um, which is an evidence-based practice, is a therapy that it's like the the cooler, more awesome um, sibling (laughs) (laughs) of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, Myself having used both in my own personal life, you know, I can, I know all the tricks. I know the whole drill and a lot of your listeners may too. Like, you know, if I say to myself, you look really ugly today in the mirror and I hate that outfit and you're just, why did you gain that weight or whatever? Um, you know, I say back to myself, that's not very nice. And, you know, you are a really good person. You know, it only goes so far. And I start then going around in a circle. But, you know, and so with a person who can intellectualize a lot of things, and that's what cognitive behavioral therapy kind of asks you to do, you start to hit a wall, right? But acceptance and commitment-based therapy is about wherever you are, there you are. So, Radical mm. acceptance, you know, is, um, Allison, if you don't mind me bringing up your situation, right? I, I was going to, so um, please. <laughs> you know, I, like I said, I'm a fan and, and, and I, I'm sorry that you were left by this person, but this is a very perfect example of where mm-hmm. this is, uh, um, are you guys curse, right? This is a shit situation. Yeah. It's yeah. and we are not going to make Allison be happy today about that. Now, maybe Allison can find joy in things in her life, um, but to tell her to be happy all the time right now is ridiculous. So radical acceptance is saying, you know, I am in a really shitty time right now and I, I'm going to live within that, but, 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 but 
I am going to show up in my life however I can. I'm going to do my papers. I'm going to do the podcast. <laughs> I'm even going to have, mm-hmm. I'm even going to welcome a mental health expert who's going to talk about me personally. Um, the right. You know, um, I'm going to take that <laughs> risk. And so those are, those things are really huge and they actually really help our mental health. And so I love ACT and use it. And I think it's wonderful. Um, it, it, it's something you have to really explain to people carefully because if you don't explain it carefully, they think you're just saying, well, you just have to live that way. And that's just what they heard from everybody mm-hmm. else. But that's not the thing. You have to do mindfulness and do some learning and learn how to relax yourself um, in a lot of ways and um, really truly accept. I think there's also this idea that like acceptance doesn't mean approval. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and it doesn't necessarily mean that there was a reason for why mm-hmm. what's happening is mm-hmm. happening. And, you know, a lot of people have been talking to me about, well, maybe you'll get more answers from him later. Like maybe. And I I don't think that I will. You yeah. know, like yeah. I think I, I don't see us speaking again. And I I have to just accept my new reality and I can feel myself shifting into, no, this is too mm-hmm. crazy. What happened mm-hmm. is two bananas that he's going to come mm-hmm. back. This is like, this is so mm-hmm. wild. Like it doesn't make any sense. It's like he'll, this is, he just had an oopsie. He'll come back and, and then my life will go back to what it mm-hmm. was. But I have to not do that. Mm-hmm. I have to say, Again, I can't predict. Who knows? Maybe that will happen. But right now I have to look at what my situation is and accept it and then say, and how do I move forward from here with these being the conditions? Even though I don't have all the answers, I don't like the conditions and I had no control. Yeah, And I would actually take it a step further into radical acceptance. And I would say, you know what? You have to let that grief happen. And the cycles of grief Mm -hmm. include denial and bargaining. I mean, look what's going on with Trump. You know, he, he's, <laughs> the whole country. but, um, you know, I mean, like there's, there's a whole like grief system or even easier to understand for everybody, like, um, the pandemic where there's a lot of grief cycle going on and in the grief cycle, mm-hmm. people are denying they're bargaining. So you're saying maybe Jake will come back. Um, uh, you know, maybe it didn't even happen. Maybe I didn't hear him. Right. Should I call him? You know, all that stuff. And <laughs> you're, and then you're, but you know, the thing I would say, Allison, as, um, just a little unsolicited advice right now for you is that, you know, don't try to force yourself to think any one thing at all, because, you know, as long as you just allow, allow those feelings to come through, it's a lot easier than holding them back. And that's not as easy as, as I, you know, am just saying it, but if you allow that grief to come through, you'll work it through and you don't have to be all okay about it all the time. Part of what is hard about this is that I'm also just processing the mm-hmm. shock of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So I think if, if this had been something I had seen coming and I had had mm-hmm. time, we had had time to grieve together, then I could just be grieving the relationship right. versus like dealing with the shock and trauma. And so for the first time, like the other night, I was like, oh my God, like I'm not mm-hmm. his anymore. Yeah. Like, I am no longer a priority in this person's life. Like he has not chosen me. Like I don't get to be the person that he goes to places with, I don't get to be his part, you know, like you would think that that would have like hit me earlier. No, (laughs) but like it did it. Like I was like, Oh, like I'm not his anymore. And like, he's not mine anymore. And that was just like so sad. And I was like, well, do I just like push this 
those feelings away? Do I sit in that feeling? Like, how long do I let myself sit in that feeling? I'm trying to go to bed. I'd like to just go to bed, you know? Um, And it's just so hard to like find that balance. But knowing that like all of that is normal Mm -hmm. and that like Mm -hmm. that's okay to feel that way and it's okay to then 10 minutes later be like I'm doing great (laughs) I'm gonna be fine I'm helping Mm -hmm. people whatever (laughs) like it's such a roller coaster Mm -hmm. but I think just even the knowledge of knowing that it's a roller coaster helps because I'm like oh I'm having a dip I roller coasters Mm -hmm. have dips Mm -hmm. I should you know that doesn't take me by surprise the way that the Yeah. And I think you're describing what it's like to process, you know, I mean, I don't want to, you know, put too much weight on it, but a trauma, you know, when, when you are Mm -hmm. suddenly like smacked in the face and your entire life goes from, I'm living with this person, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with them, which is so hard and so painful. And I'm sorry about that pain. Um, but so many of your listeners, I think, can relate to this in one way or another, this type of loss. And so, you know, the fact is that um, it is, it, it, it is, it exists. And um, we're so, you know, as a society, we're, we're, we don't want to see people cry and we don't want to see anybody in pain. But you know what? It's okay. And I always say this to people when they're crying in therapy. I'm like, it's okay. Like, let the crying out. It's really okay. Even on this podcast totally okay because we're really talking <laughs> to cry here <laughs> you know also cry too. um but i i think that it's a way you know crying is like bleeding when you're sad or grieving and you know yeah. it's like telling you know like if i said to you allison stop crying and just get over it it would be like me saying to you stop bleeding stop having diabetes mm-hmm, you can't mm-hmm. do that and actually if you ignore it and if you try to pretend that everything's okay and that you don't feel these things that are coming through mm-hmm. guess what they'll come back Mm-hmm. <laughs> you'll feel them eventually. Yeah. So I encourage you and I encourage all the listeners, you know, if you're having a painful moment, certainly get support, um, but try not to force yourself to feel better immediately. Sometimes things aren't good. Yeah. They're just not good. Yeah. I, I'm reading this book called um, When Things Fall mm-hmm. Apart. It's by like a Buddhist um, mm-hmm. nun. And uh, it talks a lot about like, it sounds bad, but it talks a lot about like, not living in hopefulness, Mm -hmm. but only in the sense that, um, like hope is trying, is trying to predict the future. It's trying to like have it. It's anxious inducing because, um, you're not actually in the moment you're living in the future. You're living in escaping from the pain. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, if you're, if you're in a painful moment, um, you're not experiencing it or you're not, uh, you're, you're using, you know, I think we're encouraged as a society, watch a TV show, drink, Mm -hmm. do drugs, like get away from it, get away Mm -hmm. from it. Um, and I think like, I had never occurred to me that you should, that, that chasing pleasure and like escaping pain is something that cannot happen. Like this book is like, look, pain is inevitable. Pain is gonna happen. Mm -hmm. Like that you can't, live your life running away from pain and only chasing pleasure or running away from fear and only change chasing hope because they go hand Mm -hmm, in hand. mm -hmm. And like, you cannot, you, you, you can't like hop, skip and jump around. Like, you know, like the floor is lava trying to get away from pain because then when it happens, like, what do you, you know, what do you do? And then you just push that down and then go to the next thing. And then pain happens again. And then push that down. It's a really interesting book in terms of like me just being like, 
oh, like like right now is what's happening. And and that things that are that are from the past, like I used to feel very jealous of people who were success succeeding right now. And I was like, no, like I'm I did some great stuff in the past. I'm doing some some stuff now, like in terms of Allison's situation, like she's helping so many people right now with with Mm -hmm. her Instagram Mm -hmm. account. And like, that's the moment Mm -hmm. to live in is like, I'm in pain. But look at what I'm doing, like right now, as I post, you know, our go to in our society is distraction. Like you said, go to a movie, watch TV, um, do some go exercise, do anything. And there and there's a place for distraction, you know, in difficult moments and in, in life. Right. But like what we lose in the process is we lose the moments in our day. Like, guess what? Life is now. It's happening right now, even Mm -hmm. in this pandemic, while you're uh, doing the dishes, while you're talking to your your partner, um, while you are um, deciding what's for dinner. Um, all those things are your life at this moment. So you can say, this sucks. Let's just wait until the end of the pandemic or whatever. Or you can try mm-hmm. to find like where the peaceful place is. And by the way, I'm not saying happy place. I'm talking about peace and no. comfort, right? Yeah. So it's not necessary. And sometimes we are happy, but like it's of course. probably unrealistic. But we pass it mm-hmm. by. We pass it by when we're currently happy. We pass it by because we're like, I could be happier in the future <laughs> or, oh my God, I'm happy right now who I'm Mm -hmm. scared. What if in the future I'm not happy? Um, And you're not like actually in the moment because pain is inevitable. To speak about occupational therapy for a minute, like that literally is sort of the, how occupational therapy works. Like you're not actually, well, sometimes in some clinics they are watering the plants or cooking a meal or whatever, but really typically with me and my patients, I'm, I'm saying to them, what is valuable in your life? What do you want to go do? And then when you're doing it, actually do that thing. And how about, yeah, be mm-hmm. in that, do that thing only. And, you know, if you find that you do a lot of listening to music while doing this, or, you know, hearing an audiobook, I mean, which I love um, all the time, you can't even go on a walk, you can't do anything, like maybe just take a moment and think about, do I need to distract myself constantly? And if I do, why am I doing that? Can I just listen to myself breathe in and out? What is that like? You know, what am I like? I I think that this applies to a few people and maybe not people with ADHD or (laughs) autism, but other people, you know what I mean? Uh, Well, I actually think with ADHD, this could be mm -hmm. super helpful in terms of of planning your day and having, I mean, can you speak to that? Do you work with a lot of yeah. ADHD yeah. clients? Yeah, I'll say since my son and his friends don't listen to this, I don't think um, my son has ADHD. My husband has ADHD. So I do mm-hmm. a lot with people with ADHD and um, in my personal life, but also professionally. Um, and what you do in terms of ADHD is you have to find the sweet spot between like getting organized and getting bored. Um, you know, and then you also, Mm -hmm. there's different types of ADHD. Like my son, for example, likes to get very focused on one thing and yeah, exactly. Hyper-focus. And my partner is ADHD. Okay. So, and I know it's, I know it's not <laughs> I'm a musician. So, so right. So oh, they yeah. are having issues with like, okay, I, I just want to do that one project and that's all I want to do. And I can't even talk to you. I can't do anything else, but that's not really good either. And like, for example, with my son who was doing online school, cause in Arizona where we live, um, you know, pretty much wasn't uh, live face-to-face school anyway. Um, for most of this semester, he was like, I just want to do everything and, and get it all done. And then like, he got a series of not so great 
grades. And, you know, not like we're so focused on the grade, but we're like, doesn't the grade mean that you sort of didn't put your best effort forward? So we had to work with him on trying to find the difference between hyper-focusing and being completely all in and doing your work in an organized way. So yeah, a -hmm. lot of it is again, very individual because if you have Mal, for example, who hyper-focuses, but you have another person who works in a different way, they may need a different strategy. You know, and hyper-focus can be used for being functional too. Like for example, right? Like, so I guess, um, for example, if Mal is a, I mean, Mal is a um, musician, so they may really Mm -hmm. want to spend a lot of time in songwriting. And that can be like a really Mm -hmm. good way to use the hyper-focus. And so Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's using the strengths that you have. We're very Mm -hmm. disability-focused. We're very like, you know, what's wrong with the person? What's the diagnosis? Right. But that doesn't really get us very far to getting a life. Right. And so it's much more about right. how do we live and unlock your best potential with how you do things really great instead of just focusing on all the negative things about um, a diagnosis or a problem or something that can be uh, chronic or a learning disability or, or, you know, cause executive function problems, things like that. I really love strength-based like treatment and therapy and, you know, figuring out mm-hmm. what is working and then how do we yeah. enhance that. Yeah. Um, for it to mm-hmm. come. And that's how um, occupational therapy would differ, let's say, from like psychotherapy. Again, great. I, I love psychotherapy. It's, it's terrific. And, um, you know, it does really well for people. That's a lot about talking about things and problems, possibly from the past and things. And it's not necessarily focusing on like, what are your strengths today that you're going to do today? What are the goals you're so it's not as here and now. And, um, in my experience, um, everything's valid in, in, uh, and if somebody needs a lot, a lot of help, um, they might need psychotherapy and OT, uh, to help them. Mm-hmm. Before we move on, I, I was just thinking, you know, knowing that I'm going to have to reenter the dating world at some point and feeling such reluctance to that and feeling like that feels so exhausting to me. And especially since so many people now, feel, and I agree, I think online dating is really the main way people meet each other, but it also is like a a (laughs) task. (laughs) So do you feel like there's value if like, you know, that having a partner is something you do want in potentially seeking out OT for dating? Is that something that people do? Like kind of learning how to approach it like a task instead of just like some think it's a mystical, magical thing. Yes. You definitely could go to an occupational therapist and say, you know, my goal is to get back into the world of dating. And I don't know how to do that after a terrible loss, um, of a relationship. What you might find is that that occupational therapist is going to start out by saying, well, like, let's talk a little bit about how you're feeling about that and quickly unearth what you just said yourself, which is, I don't want to do this right now. And so <laughs> so when you say that, you also, you know, it's like, it's a conflict for you. So what I would, you know, we would talk about it. I, I'm not the boss, you're the boss. And I would say something to you, like, you know, if you don't feel like you're ready right now, then you don't have to do it. I don't know, whatever the pressure is, you mm-hmm. don't have to succumb to that pressure. It's okay to wait a while after this happened, you know? Because a lot of OT is changing mm-hmm. your daily habits. So for a lot of people who have been single for a long time, they're maybe not used to 
Like it's a new skill set yeah. that they have to learn to incorporate and it can feel exhausting mm-hmm. and it can feel like I don't I don't have the energy for this, but maybe it is something that they really do want. Yes. And if they do, that's something that we facilitate. I mean, I think that like back to the motivational interviewing thing, if it's something that you really want, it's something that you're really going to get. Like with, with my patient who had the terrible pain condition, you know, I observed to her early on, I'm like, you know, you're just going to a lot of doctor's appointments, you know, what she was divorced for a long time. And she said, you know, yeah, I haven't been dating. And so we did talk a lot about that, but, um, you know, her issue wasn't the reluctance. It was like, how do I work that in with all of my mm-hmm. medical life and things like that? And that just sort of organically changed over time. But sometimes people just need plain old social skill training or retraining. I'm kind of wondering during the pandemic how much people are going to need social skills retraining Yeah, <laughs> because we're not socializing in a normal way. So people may feel reluctant to go back out into the world whenever we can do that safely. So yeah, it's a, thank you. That's actually a really good point. It's a great application. We will be really <laughs> scared. However, once the vaccine hits, please catch me in West Hollywood. I will be the drunkest person you've ever seen. <laughs> well, I would love to talk to you um, forever. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> just turn this into a session just for me, but it is that time for hypotheticals. Are you excited to play a game show? I am so excited. Bring it. As you know, hypotheticals is a game show where you and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations and you can tell me what you would do in that situation. Um, our first game, are you a terrible parent? Your child, 18, has been kidnapped. You get a call from the kidnappers and they demand $50,000, but you are like 97% sure that this is a con and your child is in on it. So you refuse to pay. Are you a terrible parent? You get sent a finger as proof, but it doesn't even look like her finger. Oh, whose finger is it? Oh my God. Whose finger is it? I can't tell you. Oh my God. $50,000. Is my kid not smart? $50,000 is not enough money Mm. for this plan. Well, maybe that's all you have. Maybe you don't have that much Mm -hmm. money. So then they must know that I don't have that much money. Ergo, my kid is in on it. Mm. I've been reading a lot about John (laughs) JonBenet Ramsey. And let me... Let me say that it is mildly suspicious that in the ransom note, the the amount that they ask for is the amount that the husband just got as a bonus. And so I feel like if my kid, that to me gives it away. Like, oh, really? Gabby only has $50,000. So let's only ask for $50,000. If you were a real kidnapper, you would have asked for like a million dollars. Ergo, <laughs> I am not a terrible parent. Or am I a terrible? Okay. <laughs> It's a fake kidnapping and I'm a terrible parent because my kid is trying to fake kidnap mm. ransom note me. Gosh, I, that one is really hard. <laughs> and I, I have to say that probably because I am a parent, like I'd pay any money. So I, I would say I would have to be a terrible parent in that situation. I feel like there's a whole backstory here I'm about to hear. <laughs> well, it turns out that you are a terrible parent because even though they were in on the con, they now know that you don't love them. Oh, God. But <laughs> Vanessa paid. Vanessa paid Oh, yeah. The so Vanessa's a good parent. You're a bad <laughs> parent, Gabby. <laughs> Very good. See, I'm always paying here. I would argue you're a bad parent because this whole scheme oh, happened in the first okay. case. Bad values. Bad All value right. system. <laughs> That's right. Bad All values. my kid only cares about money. So, like, they suck. 
And they chopped off a friend's finger. Uh, right. And it's the fr- right. We didn't know whose finger it was. It's obviously not their finger. No, it, it turned out that it was from the morgue. They snuck into the morgue and oh, took a finger. Really gross. Okay. That's a little bit cool. And I do sort of like that. <laughs> uh, okay. Our next game. Is this person an alien or just rude? You mentioned in a work meeting that you are afraid of elephants. The next day, a coworker who you don't know very well arrives at work dressed like an <laughs> elephant. They then chase you around the office so you can face your fears. Is this person an alien or just rude? I think that this person is an alien. And here's my theory. They are from a planet where the, w- the way that you face your fears is you dress up once a year. Everyone, their equivalent of Halloween uh-huh. on their planet. They dress as their their friend's worst fear. (gasps) This is a good idea, actually. (laughs) Okay, so you guys are best (laughs) friends. And once a year, it's like the purge. And once a year, you dress as each other's worst fears, and then you battle it out. And their worst fear, so your worst fear is the elephant, and their worst fear is you, alien. Why is their worst fear you? Fears are irrational, Allison. How dare you? I will say that I think that the uh, the person is just rude because they really want to take you down with their elephant suit. And I think that, you know, or they could just be a rude alien. I don't think they should be forcing their, you know, alien Halloween upon people like what Gabby's talking about. They're, they're a, a clinical psychology dropout <laughs> who really didn't understand exposure therapy. <laughs> Okay, but I think I've really come up with something. What if we make a movie called Alien Halloween and it's the purge, but it's that? Sure. Honestly, I'm open to anything at this point. (laughs) Our final game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? You find out that your spouse of six years has elaborately cheated at every single game night you have ever hosted. When you ask why, they say... It is more fun to win than it is to lose. Would you stay with this cheater? I would stay with that cheater because I'm bad at games anyway. And so I would just be like, let them win. I think that's what I would do. But they're cheating all your friends because you're having friends over and they're cheating against all Mm. of them. Guys, I misunderstood the question (laughs) so perfectly. What did you think? I thought... (laughs) That you were saying that my partner at every game night snuck off with someone and fucked them. I did not even consider that you meant cheating at the game. I fully was like, how has my partner been secretly walking off with someone from the friend group and cheating on me with them and then coming back? I was picturing board games that I've played like Scrabble or anything else I've ever played with my Mm -hmm. husband who always wins. So I'm just like, I always lose. That's Mm -hmm. what's made me so competitive. Like (laughs) desperate to win. (laughs) So you, but you would still stay even though you're desperate to win and they've been cheating. I would sort of probably blame myself and be like, you know, they just, uh, you know, needed to win so much. And I don't know. I, I I just games and cheating. I don't care that much. (laughs) (laughs) I, okay. If it was what, if it was what Vanessa was saying, then I would stay. If it was that they were somehow sneaking <laughs> off with each friend individually every time to have sex with them, I would mostly just be impressed. So would I. It turns out that that was the kid who who held themselves for ransom <laughs> and that they've just been cheating their way through life 
ever since. All because of bad parenting, you know. Wow. Yeah, very duplicitous person. Ugh. Wait, so I'm both their parent and their partner? Yeah, that's why it's bad parenting. Ew. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Whoa, now that just got really, you know. I didn't think it through. There was a, <laughs> there was a flaw in, in the hypotheticals multiverse. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out more about you and what you well, do? Well, I have a website uh, with a very difficult spelling. It's vanessagorelkin.com. Um, Vanessa, V-A-N-E-S-S-A, Gorelkin, G is in George, O-R-E-L-K-I-N.com. That's easy enough. And you can find me there on my website and read about me. And uh, if you're in Arizona, book a consultation. Thank you so much. This was so Thanks lovely. Thanks for so having much. me. It was really, really fun. I appreciate it. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about education. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics. X, 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 baby. So, baby. So, I, that was very cute. <laughs> um, I kind of wanted to talk about education in general, and it was sort of um, inspired by a listener's email um, because I think that, like, right now, what is education? You know, because so many people are on Zoom learning and is that learning useful? What does it look like if everyone just like kind of took took the year off of learning, <laughs> you know, um, personal? But learning, you mean, you mean like um, structured learning yeah. or like school? And also just for me, like, you know, being back in school and how it's mm-hmm. it's very different than when it felt like something that I was required to do versus now this mm-hmm. is the choice to do. But then also with getting a degree like I'm getting, it costs so much money. And so that excludes so many people from being able to do it. And mm-hmm. with like the student loan forgiveness, like I just feel like there's like, yeah. a, like education is very in the in the zeitgeist right now in terms of like how to handle it mm-hmm. and what is actually good and effective. And I don't know. Well, first of all, this all comes down to classism, mm-hmm. truthfully, yeah. classism and racism and um, access to resources and also the ways in which we've propped up academia to be um, like prestigious mm-hmm. in a way when it only centers largely white Eurocentric narratives. Um, you know, why do we all have to learn European history, but we don't know anything about the Native American tribes in our own goddamn country? And like, I think there's just a lot of things that we've decided are acceptable and we've not looked into them and we have no interest in dismantling or figuring out any sort of like different way of viewing these things because it's so ingrained. I think traditional schooling is bad and we just are and we just have so many TV and movies and and uh, so much of society structured around that. So we're never going to like address it and start from scratch. But like going to school was not good. <laughs> like <laughs> I didn't pay attention. I didn't learn. Sh- I mean, I learned some stuff, but like I was tired. We had to wake up at like butt fuck o'clock every morning. I had to wear a ridiculous uniform. Like it was not like a very conducive environment. And like, you know, I thrived in certain areas because I, I was good at English or, or science, but I was, I mean, my math teacher hated me. I was terrible at math. I got like all D's. It was so awful. And like, why? I literally walked into a classroom that was freezing cold with a woman who fucking hated me and just like failed the class 
every single day for like four years. Well, that's another big thing is like, oh, we think so much is streamlined. Like if you go to this school and everyone will get the same education, but it's so dependent on the teacher. Like I was talking to a kid in my class last night and he was like, this one class that I'm in is requires more work than all my other three classes combined. Mm -hmm. And the teacher even Mm -hmm. sent out this email being like, this class is going to be very hard. So if you don't want that, you should drop out. And Mm -hmm. I was like, have you learned any more in it than Mm -hmm. in your other classes? You know, because if if you have, then there's value to that. But he was like, no, (laughs) you know, like, I think there is sometimes this a feeling of like, well, you have to work really hard for it to be worth it. But it's not about that. It's about understanding the material, like actually remembering the material, being able to apply the material to other situations. One of my best professors, her tests are open book because the class Mm -hmm. is psychopharmacology. And like in the other class, it was about the DSM that I had with her. And she was like, you can always go look it up. You know, like you're never going to be required to spout Mm -hmm. out these facts because when you're actually in the world working as a clinician, like you have those resources. It's more Mm -hmm. about like understanding the concepts, being able to like apply them to a case study, you know, versus like, can I name the different well I guess I can name some of the neurotransmitters but you know like I I kind of understand the concept of the blood brain barrier but like I can't name all of the different cells that allow it to happen you know what I mean no one would ask you to literally no one would ask you to unless you are in jeopardy and then in that case I would be very jealous of you but I just think like well I think a lot of it is set up like I would okay I'm talking out of my ass so if you're a teacher whatever but I'm saying like Elementary and middle school is set up to teach you obedience and structure Mm. and like to teach you to like be a cog in the worker machine. (laughs) And like it's not actually teaching you. And like the kids that are like bad kids, like my sister got labeled like a bad kid and she just like had ADD. But like they were like not gonna they they were not they were not going to help her. They were going to be like, you failed. And also all the standardized tests. Right. So like in Florida, we have the FCAT. So like you have to pass the FCAT and the FCAT is like a very specific set of skills. And then you have to take the like SAT or ACT to get into college. And that's also a specific right. set of skills. And like, what if you can't, you know, sit down and and co- cohesively write an essay? But like friends of mine that were like artists. They were like, you're flunking out of high school. But meanwhile, this person's painting like the most beautiful things I've ever Mm -hmm. seen. And also it's capitalism because they're like, how can we make you a good worker? And even me saying, well, she wasn't good at school, but she was good at art is again tying her worth to ability to thrive in a worker environment. Capitalism. (laughs) I also think that it's really tough because with college, you know, not everybody is ready to embark on that journey at 18 years old. It's a scam. It's also a scam. Like I I definitely grew, I grew up (laughs) definitely very fixated on, okay, I have to get into a good school. I've got to go to a good school. I got to go, whatever. Now, like, I'm like, just go whichever school feels good. Like go to a state school, go to a community college, you know, like, yeah, whatever feels like right to you, not what like you you're like, I'm going to put this on a sweatshirt someday. And, but what's tough is that I feel like the general education of college is like, OK, good. But I also feel like sometimes you don't figure out what you want to do until you're older and then you might mm-hmm. need additional schooling. 
mm-hmm. if you didn't go to college when you when people normally mm-hmm. go to college, then you're set back even further, you know, so uh, it's really tough. Like, I don't think there needs to be four years of college. <laughs> this is it's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy to collect money. It's a scam. It's it's keeping people in line in certain mm-hmm. ways. It's keeping uh, uh, opportunities away from uh, certain mm-hmm. people. Uh, it's, it's all, it's all, it's all part of the same shit, Allison, which comes back to classism and capitalism. And then if you distill it down even further, racism. I mean, even just in that kids do so much better if they have access to preschool and preschool is, you know, you have to pay for preschool. So a lot of kids aren't able to pay for preschool and then there are, they're starting Mm -hmm. out their education already behind, um, And then here's the whole thing. Let's get even deeper into conspiracy corner. People, then you grow up, you become an adult. Mm -hmm. You work at a job. You're pre-pandemic, even now, ideally, you work from nine to five. You work at your job. Cog in the machine. If you want to have kids, where are those kids going to go during the day? They got to go to school. Of course, they have to go to school because you went to school and you were shit out into the capitalist pipeline. And now you're a worker and your kids are in the pipeline at school because but what are you going to do? Because you got to work nine to five to 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 feed your family. So you got to put your kids in school because school's free. Some people school's free. And what and what are they going to do during the day otherwise? And so it just feeds into itself. Well, I think school should exist, <laughs> but I think that that um, there should be a lot of uh, changes to it. And I don't think that it should be so based on testing and that I think that there is way too much homework. Like why? But the hours, the hours that school exists are to serve the worker. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's really interesting. And I also think there's so much stigma in not having a college degree. And like, mm-hmm. even though what you learn in college is so rarely actually what you're going to be doing in that job, but that job won't hire you because you didn't go to the call. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I really hope that in the future, we will be a lot more open minded about people's educational backgrounds. And also, you know, figuring out ways to supplement graduate education, where mm-hmm. like, there needs to be more scholarships to allow Mm -hmm. there to be more people of color, even in just the mental health profession, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's a huge issue in that profession where it is so white centric, Eurocentric, Mm -hmm. but just the fact of how expensive those programs are is going to exclude Mm -hmm. a lot of people. And so you Mm -hmm. can't make change in that industry if you aren't making it more accessible from the very beginning. I've gotten mixed reactions whenever I say I want to homeschool my kids. (laughs) When we've talked about it, either on this show or on the YouTube channel, when I've said I want to homeschool my kids, people get real up in arms about it. I, you know, I think there's a social aspect We've talked about, I don't want to get into that again, but, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting. And I also think there's a, there's a lot of expectations about when you should be learning what. So like everybody feels like you have to accomplish this at this age, this age, this age, then you go right to college, then you go right to your master's program or your, you know, MBA, like, you know, and that, Mm -hmm. and I I hear so often people are like, well, now I'm in my thirties. Now I'm in my forties. I'm too late. It's too late for me to go back to school. Um, that, that thing has, has passed for me, but it, it, it's really not true. And, and I also think that there, you know, as we're learning with the pandemic, like, I think there should be more programs 
that are based a lot more on being self-taught and like being mm-hmm. able to, you know, achieve the same degrees, but maybe in more, you know, experimental like ways that that make it so more accessible for people who are working full time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just yeah. think it's a, I think it's an area that is very, very rigid and that could mm-hmm. like deeply benefit from some creativity. Yeah, you're talking about reframing education, not as something that you go through as a life stage. And now you're in college for four years till you're this age, but as something that either is lifelong, Mm -hmm. whether structured or unstructured, and something that is accessible to older people too. And like, what, what is it? You're sitting in a class learning, like, why is it weird for there to be someone like if you're in your 60s? Why? Why? Like, it shouldn't be learning should not be working towards a job it can be but it should also we should also be able to find joy in just learning and like sitting in on a class or like doing classes or I don't know and like if I want to take a biology class right now like because it should be about like learning should be like the joy Mm -hmm. you know totally yeah, it's interesting. Rather than thinking about it as like, how is this going to serve you? And, you know, seeing people in my class, like obsessing about getting the final paper right, you know, and like asking <laughs> like millions of questions about how it should be done. And it's like, just read the instructions and do what you think it is. You know, <laughs> like this yeah. idea of like, uh, like how you are as a therapist is not tied to how perfect this one paper was in this one class. It's like, you know, like we, we assign value to the wrong parts of education, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I agree. Melissa, Melissa I agree. what the hell do you think? Come on in. So uh, education is something that's very like interesting to me because I, for one, in college, I studied biology. That's my major. That's what my degree's in. But like, awesome. I did it because I thought that's what I should be doing. And so I was taking, Mm -hmm. you know, the classes that I had to take for my biology major, but like I was taking writing classes and acting classes and piano and golf because like I, if I could have designed what my major was, I would have enjoyed college a lot more because I just had a whole bunch of extra hours Mm -hmm. that I didn't need and it was more money spent, but it was just, I, I wanted to be there. I wanted to one, enjoy like the college experience, but also do things that, like I have a science brain, but I also have a creative brain and there just wasn't right mm-hmm. a one major that I could just do one thing in. So, and I don't think most people need to go to college. <laughs> uh, I think college is I know, a scam. I, don't I think it's overpriced. Uh, I think that there's a lot of like books you can read. You can get together with friends that have like like interest and what you're into and you can all sit down and go through the book together well I was gonna say that the point of you being in college what you're talking Mm -hmm. about is like the joy of learning and you just had a joy of learning yeah and it doesn't have to be streamlined for like master class I have the unlimited whatever the sign up is called and I just take classes like I might take Bobby Brown's makeup class and then take a class on economics and take a class on farming or gardening I should say and so like I just like learning and I think because learning has been so explicitly tied mm-hmm. to grades mm-hmm. that it feels right. scary. It feels mm-hmm. like something you're either good mm-hmm. or bad at. 
Whereas in reality, mm-hmm. it's just a process. It's just, you know, it it's always holds value regardless of how quickly you learn something or not. Right. And like you were saying, even like when we had Vanessa on how the way that she explained what she did, that was the even though you've learned about it in your classes, this was the first time that you were able to absorb it. Yeah, with motivational interviewing, like mm-hmm. I learned about that in multiple classes, but I didn't understand what it actually looked like until she just like explained it to me over a podcast, mm-hmm. you know, so you're just like yeah. learning things all the time in different ways. And, right. and it doesn't hold more value because I learned it in my expensive Pepperdine class right. than like through her mm-hmm. just now. What Allison's saying is that this podcast is educational. <laughs> it really is. I hope so. That's my goal for it. Don't go to college. Graduate from Just Between Us University. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> Melissa, you have a degree in Just Between Us University. Uh, I might have a master's. Ooh, <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> what do you rate this episode, Melissa? I'm going to give this episode 30 out of 28 game cheaters. <laughs> Either kind, either kind of cheater game cheaters. (laughs) Choose your own adventure. (laughs) I was so sure. I actually heard it the way that you heard it. Really? That's what I thought. Even I had read it ahead of time, and that's what I was thinking. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, I'm going to rate it um, 17 out of 10. acceptances she's so sweet i know um i rate it 12 out of 13 the journey is the destination baby 12 out of 13 is not very good 13 out of 12 oh my god do you see what i mean and you know what because you can't achieve perfection Thank you to Vanessa Gorelkin for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Motz. Executive produced by Brett Boham, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Check out video clips of our podcast at youtube.com slash forever dog team or youtube.com slash just between us show. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at forever dog team to keep up with all the latest forever dog news. And at JBU podcast on Instagram. That's our Instagram. Oh yeah. It's very fancy. Forever. Yeah.